Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hits! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey everybody welcome back to cover two podcast on the cleveland browns this is dan kadar joined as always by browns beat writer nate ulrich nate got anything going on this week anything you're working on you want to talk about well it's the eve of the draft so i figure it's a good day to take off um, sure. No, there's plenty, plenty going on, and uh, <laughs> you know it's not. It's so funny because it's like, here's the draft. It's in Cleveland. You know the Browns have nine picks. Uh, you know, 26th overall, so not at the top of the draft, but still, people want to know who are they going to add to this team to to help them try to take the next step. Is is there you know squarely in the discussion of the you know teams that are contending for conference championship games and you know aspirations to go to their first super bowl and all that but lo and behold we we've got non-draft news you know baker mayfield and jarvis landry and david njoku austin hooper a couple other guys uh, rashard higgins you know working out down in florida uh owners jimmy and d haslam talked yesterday to to browns beat writers for the first time since august 16 2020 nuggets coming out of that so yeah there's a ton of stuff going on and we're right on the doorstep of the draft yeah the the nfl seems to always pack in all of this stuff right around the draft i mean it's after the super bowl it's it's the biggest event on the nfl calendar quite honestly so uh real quick nate we'll get to the draft here in a second isn't the the workout thing, like with Baker Mayfield and the players, that's not breaking some NFL COVID-19 rule at all. Like, I I, I was kind of under the impression, based on uh, what Kevin Stefanski said, I think it was Stefanski, or maybe it was Andrew Barry, that the NFL's at, at the least frowning upon those kind of personal workout things with players. Am I misremembering that? Well, as far as I know, the league is not saying that, that, you know, players aren't allowed to do that or anything. It's actually the union, the NFLPA, who's who's kind of keeping players, um, you know, away from or at least encouraging players to keep away from these uh, voluntary in-person workouts and more than 20 teams have, have players from more than 20 teams have, have made that public vow through the NFLPA. The Browns did it on April 15th. They said, we're going to exercise our, our right in the collective bar- bargaining agreement to not attend these in-person voluntary off-season workouts this spring. And those right now, the program started on April 19th and it's just virtual meetings. So, Browns players are on virtual means with Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff, and they have been since April 19th. But in terms of the in-person workouts, which, you know, a little bit later here, like next month, normally would consist of OTAs, organized team activity practices. The Browns have said, and again, players from more than 20 teams have said, we're staying away from that. So mandatory minicamp is really the next time they're contractually obligated to show up in Bria and practice as a team, and that would be in June. 
And even that is uncertain at this point because the union, and of course the union is led by Brown starting center, J.C. Treader, NFLPA president. Mm-hmm. The union does not want mandatory minicamp because of the pandemic. But in the collective bargaining agreement, it it's a, it's it's in there. It's it's set. So the union would have to get the league to change something in the CBA to eliminate the mandatory minicamp, or individual teams could back out of it. Does not sound like the Browns are going to do that. One of the little nuggets that came out of the Haslam's talk yesterday was Jimmy Haslam said the Browns are hopeful that they are going to have mandatory minicamp. So <laughs> it's a long answer, but basically. It's the union that's resisting these in-person workouts at team facilities right now and the union advising players really don't get together on your own and work out either with the caveat that the CDC is changing its guidelines and the union's reevaluating that, but they still want the players to be extra cautious. That is the word I got from the union today when checking in on the exact question you asked. Wow. How about that? That, that's interesting. I just when you see all these players and teams pull out of of doing the the voluntary stuff, that kind of goes counter to that. So that, that's why I did want to ask. But that that's not the that's not the main course for today's podcast. That was just a little. I guess that that was the salad maybe before the main dish. And anyway, and we never talk about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> So yeah. I didn't know this was coming, but it is newsy. I mean, I mentioned at the top for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. Baker had these workouts last year in Austin, Texas, his hometown with some receivers and tight ends. Now they're at um, they're in South Florida, um, and they are at this uh, place called the House House of Athlete. And it is it it is interesting because Baker on Monday spoke to Browns beat writers. So it's been a busy week. I mean, Baker talked, and I didn't even mention that at the beginning. And he said that he's a firm believer in Sasquatch and UFOs. But he also said that eventually they were going to get to – he was going to get together with some teammates and work out. He did – he failed to mention that eventually meant this week. (laughs) Um, So he's, you know, a little secretive there because, you know, I think on Monday he would have known that that this was going down on Wednesday um, and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. There's social Mm -hmm. media posts from this on Tuesday of him throwing to Jarvis. So – a little secretive there, uh, but nonetheless, he did say that they were going to get some work in and be as safe as possible. So we're talking about it. Yeah, we, we certainly are. But let's let's talk about the draft now. The, the Browns, for the first time since 1995, they're picking uh, in the back part of the first round. That's when they picked, I believe that was 26, 25th or 26, whatever it was. It was 1995. Um and there's there's actually a funny story behind that that pick. The Browns traded it, and they made another trade, and one of the picks they got ended up being Ray Lewis. So if that doesn't make you feel a little salty here, on the eve of the draft, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, nothing will. But be that as it may, the, the Browns are back in the, the back of the first round. Nate, we talked about this a lot last week, and I was extremely, extremely kerfuffled trying to figure out, should the Browns trade up? Should the Browns stay at 26? Should the Browns move back? What What is your latest feeling on that? What, what, what do you think is the best course of action for the Browns? What do you think could happen? Well... You know, Dan, that I'm all about corner, and I think they need to get one. And who knows how it's really going to play out, but we all read these mock drafts. We all read when analysts and guys like you who pay attention to every twist and turn of, of, of the draft uh, buzz, we all take that in. And mm-hmm. if you take enough of that in, it's easy to believe that all four corners who form that top tier, you know, at least in the eyes of, of draft analysts, draft gurus, draft experts, whatever you want to call them, that those top four could very well be gone by 26. I just look at that extra third round pick that the Browns have. They have two of them. Uh, one of them is 89 overall. Another one is 91 overall. 
if you look at the draft trade charts, the traditional one, the new school one, and you look at some recent trades, and you mentioned this on a previous podcast, you can take one of those third-round picks and you can get up into the early 20s. You can get up to 20 with the Bears. Now, the, the situation you outlined before was 21 with the Colts. I love it. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. In my mock, um, I've got him being aggressive. I've got him going up to 20 with the Bears and getting Greg Newsom out of Northwestern just because I have no idea if that's going to happen, but I think it should happen for the reason that they need a cornerback and they have that extra third-round pick. Andrew Berry wants to be defined by aggression, so he can go do that. I think it makes a lot of sense. Other, otherwise, you sit there at 26, you don't get a corner. Obviously, it's not the end of the world. You can address that in the second round. You've got a lot of other ways you can go. You can go edge rusher, receiver. Um, you can go a linebacker if one of these guys compels Andrew Barry to kind of break his rule of not investing heavily in the position. Um, I mean, a fringe possibility is defensive tackle. But I think it just makes more sense to get that corner and you go up and get them. Then you're not sitting there 26 risking not having any of them, any of them available to you. Maybe you like Asante Samuel Jr. enough to pick him at 26. The part I have a problem wrapping my head around is he's the same size as Denzel Ward. And I just don't know matchup-wise if you want two corners the same size. You look at the Steelers receivers uh, and, and Juju and Claypool. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, I just – I think he would like – a tall corner to complement Denzel a little bit better. And those top four are all six foot or taller. So you go and you get Newsome. I think it would make a lot of sense. Another possibility of 26 is you just wait there, and then you're left with a difficult decision of what do you do if Caleb Farley's the one who is there out of the four, given that he's had two back surgeries, one most recently last month, plus an ACL tear surgery in 2017. And the news with him today, Dan, he comes out, Drew Rosenhaus's agent tells the, the networks, uh, NFL Network and ESPN specifically, that he has tested positive for COVID-19. He's not going to attend the draft in Cleveland. He'll be in quarantine at home in North Carolina as, as a result. And Farley put out a, a video message on Twitter uh, saying that he's asymptomatic and he's staying positive, has high spirits and everything. His, his, his dream is going to be realized this week. He's not going to let this development ruin um, the NFL draft for him, but digging into his story a little bit, Dan, and I'll stop rambling, but I think it's just kind of a gut punch. I mean, the news is really hard to take. If you know a little bit of a little bit about this guy's story, I don't know him personally, but the, just hearing this development even shook me a little bit because this is a guy whose mom died of cancer in 2018 and he opted out last season because he was fearful that if he played football, he'd be more likely to contract COVID-19 and he didn't want to pass it to his dad because Mm. he thought, I only have one living parent left. I want to grow old with him. These are things he said, Dan. And, and I just think it's heartbreaking that, you know, he opted out for that reason. And now here he is draft week coming down with COVID-19 positive test result when the NFL administered its tests. So um, I don't know Caleb Farley at all, but I hope he's okay. I hope his family's okay because that was just kind of a gut punch news item that I saw this morning when I, you know, considering the background that I've learned as I've written about him in the build up to the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a real, that's a real shame. You know, you, it's like he could see it coming and it, it still happened anyway. You know, that that's how predictable yet unpredictable everything has been in, in the last year plus. So uh, hopefully everything works out for him. Hopefully the, the COVID diagnosis, number one, uh, it doesn't harm him too much. You know, we, we, we've seen it really hit people hard. Uh, hopefully it's not so bad for him. But it, it's it's the stuff beyond that that we, we talked about last week or the week before, maybe the week before that, sometime recently, I, I just think there's too much injury risk with him uh, for the Browns to really be compelled to take him, even if it's at 26. 
And I, I, I would guess a lot of NFL teams are more concerned about the back stuff than the torn ACL. So, heck of a player. Hope it works out well. Um, but he's, he's tough. I mean, you could see him falling out of the first round, I think, potentially. Um, yeah. That, that's why I like the strategy of moving up for Newsom. Because yeah. it's a, a two-birds-one-stone move. It eliminates the possibility of sitting at 26 with no corners, and it eliminates the possibility of sitting there with only Farley from the first tier. And then, really, it's like, okay, James Voos, that's the Browns' doctor. Joe Sheehan, that's their head athletic trainer and a very long title that I don't know off the top of my head right now because he's been promoted over the years and gotten a very, very uh, long title. But he is a bigwig. What do those guys think about Farley's medical history that could dictate the decision there if you stay there and you're not aggressive and you go up and you just get a guy and Newsom, who I just think makes a lot of sense for them and I think that, that they would like. So um, I've heard nothing – but good things about Newsom as a guy um, and, you know, just getting to talk to him on zoom a little bit uh, during his pro day last month. Um, I had, a, you know, it was, it's just zoom. I don't know him at all, but it was a good first impression. And, and there's a lot to like him about him and on film and what he put together. He, he does have a little bit of concern uh, with, with some missed time, no major injuries, but, kind of similar to Denzel Ward where he's kind of missed like three games a year. Um, that's what one knock against Newsome. So, um, you know, I don't think that would be a deal breaker for them, but it is interesting. And we're mentioned Farley's injury history. I just thought that I should mention that Newsome does have a, uh, a more minor one attached to his name. Hmm. Well, let me, let me spin it forward this way in my mock draft which I, I know mock drafts are complete total crapshoots and they're more, far more wrong than right, but they're still fun to do, damn it. Um, in mine, I'm going to have Newsom and Farley gone by pick 17. So if you're, if you're Andrew Barry and say, I don't know, the Vikings at 14, say, okay, give us your first round pick and both, third round picks or give us your first round pick and the second round pick you have. Do you do that deal or do you think they'll Andrew Barry should only be comfortable giving up one third round pick to make a jump up? Well, you know, obviously it's going to depend on how, how uh, much they like a player, you know, how bold do they want to be? If they, if they like them enough, sure. They'll, they'll do it. They'll be aggressive, but I just would be a little bit surprised if they made a big jump. Like I kind of mm. think that five, six spots is is the logical range because they do have that extra third round pick and that gets them there. And you're not like wrecking your draft or mortgaging your future, anything like that, with mm-hmm. a dramatic move up. It's it gets you kind of where you need to go if one of those corners is there that you like and you can go do it. But a major move up, I'm not feeling it. Anything can happen, yeah. of course, but I would just think it's a less likely route. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm still coming to grips with the idea of Andrew Barry actually trading up. You know, I, I, I still think it's, even, even in the position where the Browns are, and even with nine picks, he just still strikes me as somebody who doesn't like giving up draft capital, even though I, I could see it happening. I, I think that that 19, 20, 21 range is the sweet spot for a move. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, hmm. uh, I would say that um, I agree with you uh, more times than not. He's going to trade back. Same with Paul, you know, Paul D. Podesta. That's what analytics says is the smart business move. Um, the counter I have to that is their draft history includes a trade-up, uh, and it was for David Njoku in 2017 coming out from early second round to the back of the first round. 
True. Uh, pick him 29th overall. So it would not be unprecedented. And um, it is interesting that they're starting at 26, which we just haven't we haven't seen them here at all. Like you mentioned at the top, we haven't seen the Browns here in the expansion era. So does the MO change a little bit, especially with a little extra ammunition? I think it could. Yeah, it, it very well could. Nate has a really good kind of companion piece to this podcast up over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. Uh, look for the headline, uh, Browns analysis, breaking down scenarios, expectations for the draft. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good detailed read. It has a ton of, of really strong information in it. Um, so if you're kind of just getting into the draft now and you're not, uh, crazy, like, like, uh, me, it, that, that's a great jumping off point to, to get really fast up to speed on, um, where the Browns are in the draft, particularly when it comes to the first round. Nate, other than wide receiver, mm-hmm. Is there any chance the Browns use any early pick on an offensive player? By early, I guess I mean, oh, let's say top four rounds. Is there is there any scenario where the Browns just fall in love with somebody besides a wide receiver on offense? Well, is, is I, that possible? I mean, you know, and I think you're on board with this. I've been thinking for a, a long while that guard makes a lot of sense as a, a – maybe a third, fourth round option. Um, So that would be my answer. I just think that you're not going to be able to pay everybody. You got all these guys eligible for contract extensions. And I think there's a chance Wyatt Teller ends up being the, the odd man out. And they, meaning the Browns, last year drafted Nick Harris in the fifth round out of Washington to to form some kind of succession plan behind J.C. Treader, J.C. Treader, the starting center, and I think that Teller could get the similar treatment in this draft. I think we could see a middle-round guard who's brought in in case they don't get a contract extension with Teller, and he's scheduled to be a free agent next March. So, mm. you know, is it possible that they could work a succession plan with Nick Chubb in this draft? Yeah. It is. I think it's less likely because I'm not giving up on the idea that they're going to sign Nick Chubb. I very firmly believe that they will, if not franchise him, because you can do that for a a cheap salary with a running back. Um, Plus, you also have Kareem Hunt. So, like, (laughs) I just think that if there is a succession plan on offense that's going to happen in, you know, rounds two through five or whatever. And I know you said top four. Um, I think guard would be the answer right after receiver. Mm. Well, I, I just asked that because I actually had running back in mind because it, it kind of goes completely in the face of the, the analytics movement, if you will, in the NFL of you don't trade up, you don't take running backs early. Those those are like two of the big ones, right? Yeah. And so it, it's it's going to be fascinating to me if if the Browns do in fact trade up or take a running back, say in the third round or something. Um, that that that's I think what interests me the most in in the entire draft, just what Andrew Barry does now that the Browns are good, and what it says about. Um, I guess the direction he wants to take the franchise next. You know, the the Browns just have never been in this position before, where they're kind of to a to some degree drafting more for depth than than starters. You know, in, in years past, Nate, we we've done these podcasts right before the draft, where one of my main questions is. How many starters do the Browns need to get out of this draft? And it's always been like four, five, boy, they could maybe use six, something like that. Yep. This year, it's, you know, st- starter is kind of debatable with uh, nickel packages and 
three wide receiver sets, but it, it kind of seems like the Browns really only need like what two maybe starter kind of players out of this draft. Like their their needs are small. They have needs, but they're they're not massive, huge franchise altering needs, at least to me. No, I totally agree. I mean, ideally you'll get a corner. Uh, whether it's first, second round. One of my things in my uh, expectations and scenarios analysis is something I've said with you before, and and I got you to agree to it. And then when you went and did your seven-round mock, you defied it. So then I had to criticize you a little bit, but it's all well. <laughs> uh-huh. It's that I would be shocked if they don't draft a corner in the first two rounds. I think that's one of the starters or starting caliber players, starting candidates that they want to come away with. It's a greedy Williams hedge. I mean, you just don't know how that nerve is going to, you know, respond when he's truly trying to make a comeback in pads and everything. Um, You know, that shoulder injury, it cost him the entire season. So so that is a need. That's a thing. Like we talk about a stacked roster, Super Bowl caliber talent, all that. These things are true. But to say the Browns don't have any needs is wrong. They do. And it's primarily a corner. Defensive tackle is another one, Dan. Um, I know you hit on this big time in your seven-round mock. I think you took two D tackles. I could see it. I mean, I think maybe you would call it like a half a starter because you would probably want an interior guy who can come in and be part of the rotation. And I'd say the same for edge. So I don't know if you want to call it like, you know, two starters with maybe one or two of them being like half a starter, you know, more or less contributors than starters. You know, this is semantics, but – I think corner is the real solid candidate to really play a lot. And then I could see a couple of D linemen. Now, receiver, that's interesting, right? Because if they take a receiver as high as first, second round, he's going to play, and he's going to play right away. They're going to find a role for him. I'm not saying he's going to take the jobs of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. I am saying he'll be a successor to one of them. But in 2021, he's probably going to be a, a third guy. Um that still could mean a significant role for him. It, it really could. And in my defense, by the way, with the cornerback thing, mm-hmm. um, I, in mine, it, it ended up being Paulson Adebo, the cornerback from Stanford with the 91st pick. So the, the, what I did for my mock draft was there are all these mock draft simulators out there online. They're great. They're, they're interesting. So I, I used one of those just because it, it threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into how I did mine. And it just so happened when I was doing the picks, I didn't want to make a trade. And uh, there there was just none that I liked when when I was up. So that that's how I landed on a cornerback being the fourth pick for the Browns after defensive end, defensive tackle and offensive guard. Um, okay. So then, then I had a linebacker in there. I had another edge in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the second defensive tackle. Then I had a wide receiver who was just a flyer player and a quarterback just kind of for for ha-has on the quarterback, but I thought it was logical. Yeah, you know, it is. In, in, your, in your mock, which is mm-hmm. uh, down toward the end of of your uh, first round mock. You did all the picks for the Browns. Mm. You have Rondale Moore from Purdue. Oh, I'm so pissed about that. Oh no. Why? All right. So Dan, as you, as we've done this throughout the years and this happened to you recently, you had an idea about trading up and you know, you Mm -hmm. laid it out very nicely, but before we actually got to record and you you know, could put your idea out there for the world. You notice other people start picking up on the same yes. idea or putting it out there. And you're like, we're like, that's kind of frustrating. I'm like, yeah, this is what happens. There's too much attention. Damn, Tony on the grossy. Yeah. Too much, too much attention on the Browns. Inevitably right. it's it, your original idea is not going to be original as much as you'd like it to be. So Sunday I spent my time putting together a mock draft, which is probably a huge waste of a day because I'll get like, 95% of it wrong. <laughs> Anyhow, I've just been obsessed with Rondale Moore's game since he did what he did to Ohio State three years ago. 
I, he was one of the first draft features I, I, I wrote this year. I got Purdue's coach one-on-one on the phone talking about him. And I think he makes a lot of sense for the Browns because there is that role already built into Kevin Stefanski's offense. And nobody talks about it, but that's exactly the kind of stuff that we saw Rondell Moore do with Purdue. That's what Stefanski was doing. Low-key, last year, small sample size with JoJo Natson of the University of Akron. But JoJo got hurt early. Remember, he tore his ACL in the third game. So the jet sweeps that they ran all training camp with JoJo and the little bubble screens and things like that, the creative ways to get the ball in his hands and just let him be, you know, a bolt of lightning. That stuff really was never seen on a large scale. And I just think that Rondale Moore is like super JoJo, meaning that he could do all those things, has done all those things, but is a better athlete is much harder to tackle, much sturdier. They are the same height, 5'7", which is, by the way, why he can be available at number 59 to the Browns in the second round, uh, you know, theoretically. So I've got Rondale Moore going to the Browns, 59 overall. I just love the idea. A guy who has 4-2 speed, if you believe, the pro day uh, <laughs> hand time, or whatever, that came mm-hmm. out in. And this guy, if it's not legit 4-2, it, he is 4-3, and he can take the top off a of defense. We know they need speed. All these factors I put into consideration, and I say he just he's fun and makes sense at 59. So I'm running yesterday. I'm playing some Browns programming in my podcast. I don't know if it was, I apologize, the in-house radio show or one of the podcasts they run or one of the pre-draft shows, but Dane Brugler, our buddy, a great draft the analyst, is on there. And I hear him as I'm jogging around, you know, huffing and puffing my neighborhood, trying to get a sweat in. I hear Dane Brugler just drop out of nowhere about, you know, possibilities in the second round. Rondale Moore is the guy who makes a ton of sense at 59 for the Browns. And I'm just like, no, because my mock (laughs) is going to publish tomorrow, as you know, on our website. And now I look like I just copied off Dane Brugler. Well, we know the truth. Look, everybody, I, I can assure you, Nate has had this thing turned in since sunday i think it like well i guess it would have been monday at 12 30 a.m i think he texted me uh i want to say unless that was somebody else who knows um but he's had this in for for several days now yeah so i'm um, counting damn it and the thing yeah. is there, there's no way they're gonna draft rondale more now but <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just hey, not an original idea in this business so we're just lamenting it no one cares but us but here we are well, you never look. Dane moved back to Northeast Ohio, and I don't know who he's talking to. Uh, he he could have some some pretty good sources that he's. Oh no, there's no doubt about it. I'm just saying, yeah. that, you know, me lamenting it means I think last year he had Wills and maybe Delpit. I can't remember. I'm gonna say he did. I anyway, top notch. I I. I rely heavily on his draft guide for information it's awesome he by the way works for the athletic and um we probably should say that you can get his draft guide there because honestly i really do find that super helpful i know dan you like the pff one i I dabble in that too um Mm -hmm. these draft guides are just invaluable and, and the amount of work that goes into them is amazing yeah dane's is called the beast uh i don't know if we're supposed to promote the athletic but i i don't care uh I, I would say an athletic subscription is worth it for the cost of, of Dane's draft guide. Even if you're buying it after the draft, uh, it, it's tremendous. Just a incredibly well-done piece of work. Um, I'm very glad for Dane that he's getting the kind of notoriety that he gets now. So uh, with, with that said, Nate, and by the way, I do like Rondale Moore a lot. I, I would be over the moon if the Browns picked him at 59. I would be perfectly happy if they traded up in the second round a little bit for him, too. I, I think he's really good. I think he's, uh, I know he's, I know he's small. Well, he's short. He's not small. He's not that's small. The, that's a thing. Right, right. But he's just, a, just a brick. Just a yeah. brick of an of a offensive playmaker. Um, I like him. 
I also like who you have the Browns taking in the third round. Now, you had them giving up 89 to trade up to get Newsome. Yeah. You have Jay Tufele from Southern California going at 91. I, I like that pick. Defensive tackle, I think he can play a three-technique kind of role, the Sheldon Richardson kind of replacement thing. Um, he's, he's a good player. So I, I like that. I, I don't know much about Kane Doe, but guessing since he went to Florida State to play defensive end, he's lanky and athletic would be my guess. Yeah. I think Dylan Moses is, he's fine. The linebacker from Alabama, who you have the Browns taking in the fourth round. Uh, there was some buzz about him early in his career. He really leveled off, had some injury stuff. So, yeah, but he played for last year at Alabama. I was on his pro day Zoom, and he said he had a torn meniscus that he played through, had to have surgery right. afterward. That that's the scare with those Alabama guys, man. They're they're always banged up. Um, yeah, and yeah. Then you know you you filled it out with some other players. It's interesting though. You have one, two, three, four. Uh, four SEC players in the, in the um, day three. That's interesting. Yeah, well, Barry um, started his uh, draft last year with four. The first four picks he made were SEC players, so I wanted to make sure that was definitely in my mind as I did this. I wanted to have a good representation of SEC. I didn't. I did it. I flipped it from last year. We he finished strong with SEC after after starting strong with SEC last year. The guy at the very end. Dan, who was who the guy at the very end? I wonder if you have any thoughts on him, because I actually, speaking of ideas and, and not having original thoughts um, that are able to <laughs> be disseminated, I kind of stole this idea from you, uh, full disclosure, because in your um, seven-round round mock, you found a guy who is, and I don't remember the names off the top of my head, who's coming off a, 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 a ruptured Achilles, and I thought that was... It, it, it just it triggered a memory for me of what they did last year with Curtis Weaver because I just wrote mm-hmm. about Curtis Weaver. I just talked to Curtis Weaver. They did not draft Curtis Weaver. The Dolphins did in the fifth round. But he suffered a torn ligament in his big right toe during training camp early on with the Dolphins, and he took his sock off. He told me it looked like his toe was dangling. Imagine trying to get in a stance as a defensive lineman when your t- big toe is about to fall off. Blech. That's gruesome. So he had to have surgery, season ender. Instead of just putting him on IR, Dolphins waived injured him, putting him on the waiver wires, exposing him to the rest of the league. Andrew Barry obviously liked him in the draft, picked him up. They put him on IR for the whole year. I just think that's smart business, especially if you have these extra picks. We're talking about what to do with them, that nine rookies aren't going to make the team, all that. Not only can you trade them away, but you can take a flyer on one of these late-round injured guys if you like him enough, if you like his tape, and then you can save him for a year, you're able to get him in your building, develop him a little bit, especially on the mental side. You rehab him, and then he comes in as like a plus, you know, kind of like a plus rookie is what I would call it in, in 2022. So I just like that idea. It's one way to use a pick but not bring in nine rookies trying to make the team. Is in I found a guy who tore his ACL in the senior bowl. Um, mm. from Georgia, I think the seventh round pick, mm-hmm. and um, of course I'm forgetting his name. I don't have it right. Malik up Herring. There Malik you go. Herring. So he's yeah. kind of like a three technique uh, slash end. He's a little bit of a tweener there. Um, but he had a lot of playing time in Georgia. Tore his ACL, and I thought he just fits that little strategy that I'm trying to go with here. That you kind of uh, set off in my mind. So I don't know if you want to talk about the Achilles guy, but that that makes a lot of sense to me. It reminded me of the Curtis Weaver situation. Yeah, and it's interesting. In, in both of our seven-round mocks that we did, and again, this is up at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash browns, um, we both had these undersized interior defensive linemen. For you, it was Herring. For me, it was Darius Stills of uh, West Virginia. So I, I guess we'll see, if, you know, if our if our brains are kind of locked in what the Browns do, if they find one of those kind of, you know, maybe not the biggest, but a quick penetrator, defensive tackle kind of player. That 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 stuck out to me more than the injury thing. But uh, my injured guy was 
uh, Vanderbilt defensive end Dio Odangbo. <laughs> I well, yes, I I do have his name pronunciation up. That'll take I know more about they pick him. Yeah, yeah, I, I know I know more about him as a player than how to say his name. And to me, like you said, he he tore his Achilles, uh, and that's bad. Uh, but like you said, the Browns want to stash a guy. This, this is a player who, to me, was a, like a second-round pick before the injury. Um, he has Miles Garrett size. I'm not going to say he has Miles Garrett athleticism because nobody does. But th- this is a guy who is 6'5", 285 pounds, um, just a, a really good all-around defensive end. Um, obviously, at that size... There's technique stuff that he'll have to work on, but man, uh, I I think he would be a nice, nice, nice developmental player to to stash behind Miles Garrett. Just have him mirror Miles and see if you can replicate that as much as you can, because the 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 frame is there and there's enough athleticism there. I I think he could be a player. Of course the the Browns probably won't draft him just because I think it's going to happen. But if they did, I would, I would be over the moon. And it's just a fun name to say. Odangbo. That's good, right? No doubt. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, these mocks are a lot of fun. And what I try to do is obviously you have no chance of predicting other than just being lucky. But I try to go with strategy, right? Like, so – what would make sense? Like, you know, what positions, when, and something a little bit creative. Like, because I think that's Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta, you know, draft an injured guy, take a flyer on an injured guy with a late pick and stash him, trade mm-hmm. some picks um, this year for picks next year that are a little bit better positioned. Like, Joe Banner did that in 2013. And he obviously has a strong analytics background. So I could see them trying to do that. Like, here's the thing. Like, not only do you have nine picks and probably not nine spots for rookies on this roster because of the caliber of the roster right now, but this is a weird year, right? So, like, that's why I think that we need to keep in mind that there was no combine. The medical information wasn't or isn't what it normally is. For the second consecutive year, they haven't been able to bring prospects into the building for the top 30 visits. That's all been virtual again. But even last year, there was the combine. So they got the medical information that they wanted. This year, not the case. So I think kind of trying to parlay some of these picks into next year when you expect to have a combine again and better medical information makes a lot of sense. That's also why I could see the trade down from 26. You could even trade out of the first round. We talked about this last time we recorded, Dan. Yep. Um, because I asked Andrew Barry about it. But, I mean, does anybody think the Chiefs are stupid for getting out of the first round and getting left tackle now, Orlando Brown, in the process? Like, I don't think they're stupid at all. <laughs> this, right. I think this is the year if you can get it, if you're in late in the first round and you can get out and give yourselves more swings next year when your information's going to be better. I see that logic and I think it makes sense. So I would not be shocked if the Browns and some other teams try to do that. And, you know, even if it's not moving out of the first round from 26, because I still do like the idea of going and getting your corner. Um, you know, I think you could try to get, you know, what what if you traded a fourth round pick this year for a third round pick next year or a fifth mm. round pick this year for a fourth round pick next year? So that that's what I'm kind of talking about. Whittling the, the, the nine picks down in creative ways, you know, kicking someone to the future, taking an injured guy here or there. I think there are ways to maneuver. And I think Andrew Barry is pretty creative. So we got to consider these possibilities. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Browns came out of this draft with only six or seven players. You know, I, I think that that's completely reasonable to expect. So, 
Uh, Nate, any, anything else to tack on before we get out of here and the, the draft starts? Yes. I have to tack this on because... Is it the breaking Marla news? No. Okay, I'll, I'll bring that up afterward then. Go ahead, sorry. Um, I didn't even know there was breaking Marla news. But anyway, um, now I'm all thrown off. No, you said uh, a pot or two ago that you were looking forward to the Haslam speaking specifically yes. about Baker Mayfield's contract extension because you thought that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry were not going to slip at all. They weren't going to say anything of significance because they are just – perfect machines when it comes to <laughs> dealing with the yes. media and other things. Mm-hmm. And you thought that the Haslam's might add a little bit of flavor to the situation. And I think that you nailed it because yesterday Jimmy Haslam was asked about Baker Mayfield's contract extension and if it would be ideal uh, to get it done this off season. And uh, also, you know, the fact that they just picked up the fifth-year option uh, last week for Mayfield. And I won't read the whole quote, but I'll read part of it. And he said, Baker deserves the fifth-year option. And I think he and Andrew, meaning Andrew Barry, have both addressed the possibility of things after that, meaning a contract extension. And we'll leave that up to Andrew to decide when that happens. But we're well pleased with where Baker is. And before that, he had said that they were delighted to see Baker Growing last year as a player and as a leader mm-hmm. and how important quarterback is in the NFL. But I thought the interesting phrase is, speaking of a contract extension for Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Haslam said, we'll leave that up to Andrew to decide when that happens. He is speaking as if it's not a matter of if this extension will happen, but when it will happen. I thought that was significant, um, you know, not earth shattering news, but. I think that it does put a little bit of flavor on it that we hadn't heard exactly before. Now I keep saying, and I, and I totally believe this and I've written it and talked to you about it, that Stefanski and Barry have consistently said the things you say about a guy you want to extend. But I think Jimmy Haslam putting the when on this situation rather than the, if kind of moved it a little bit closer to the goal line. Yes, and in an era as a sports reporter where you have to kind of decipher and read the tea leaves more than any other time I can ever remember, I I think you're onto something on the when, not if part of that. And the, the line before that is the one that really got me. The I think he and Andrew both addressed the possibility of things after that after the fifth year option. So just knowing that it, it sure sounds like they're, they're already talking. So well, I don't think that's what he meant. Oh, well that, that, that's how I read it. Yeah. You know? No, I think what he meant was that they both meaning Andrew and Baker have addressed mm-hmm. the possibility in previous and recent zoom sessions with the media of mm-hmm. him being extended. Well, because I and I have been told that they have not been they have not talked extension yet, but but yeah. they, but that is expected to happen this off season. So with with my background knowledge of this situation and sure. the fact that Andrew just talked Friday about an extension publicly and Baker talked Monday about the extension Monday uh, I'm sorry Andrew Friday Baker Monday they were both asked a bunch of questions about the extension and and so I think that that Jimmy was referring to that. I believe that interpretation is correct. Ah, okay. Well, uh, I liked everything that the Haslam's had to say. And um, my my opinion of, of Jimmy and D has changed pretty dramatically uh, in the last couple of years. So uh, that it's a good read. There's a lot of good quotes in there. Uh, that, again, that's at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash browns. The breaking Marla news, uh, well, it's breaking for this podcast. Marla texted us while we were recording here. She says she's not a fan of potato teasers um, at, at Swenson's, which is, I almost broke into what you were saying. trading <laughs> back just to just to bring that up so 
She's blaming. She thinks it's the oil they use, though. Yeah, I, I'm not here to disparage the oil or the potato teasers. I mean, I've never, I've never heard anything like this. But thanks for listening, Marla. It's a, but it's a shocking admission. I, I, I'm not even gonna text her back because she has to listen to find out. But my advice is to, to use a little ranch and just enjoy it that way because I think that'll make make a difference, change your perspective. I just go straight up. Uh, that's what I'm going to do after Nate buys me an order of potato teasers and, and a galley boy after after this week's draft. Nate, Did you figure out a way for me to buy you a shake too? Uh, no, but we'll see what we'll see what the week brings on Friday or Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we check out? I don't think so. Just the uh, to put a bow on this. Um, Baker conversation, um, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, talking to people about what Jimmy said. My sense is that nobody involved is surprised by the idea that it's a it's a matter of if and not when, and that you know it it's just not really a big internal debate whether it's going to happen. It, it really just is about the timing, and of course, when they sit down and they do talk the terms, the details, and how close they are, and what that means as it relates to when it actually happens. But if I had to wager, I would still say that Andrew Berry's money quote of the offseason was saying that a Baker Mayfield potential extension um, is on the same trajectory that Miles Garrett was last year. So I'm thinking summertime. Miles signed his on July 15th. Hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll pick that up again after the draft. We'll we'll have full coverage of the 2021 NFL draft on the Beacon Journal's website. There is a buttload of of content that's coming your way. So stay tuned. Uh, Sign up for push alerts on your phone for our app. Follow Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. There's going to be a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff. Uh, And, and, a second round mock draft probably on Thursday night. So stay tuned for that. Um, but that is going to do it for cover two. I'm Dan Kadar. He's Nate Ulrich. You're the listener and we thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.